I can start with the bad ones and then end with some of the more meaty ones. No, no, you want to start with start with the good ones. Yeah, start with the good ones. People will drop out. I was thinking uh, Paul Pierce shitting his pants. That's a pretty light light uh, topic to start out. Yeah, people love shit. <laughs> people love. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Hoops Temple podcast. I'm Nathan Schwartz. Joining me as always, Dylan Williamson. G'day, g'day. And Nico Larson. Hello. Oh, put a, put a little something special on that one. <laughs> Very sultry. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, we have had an interesting week. A week full of uh, vomiting, full of shit stories, and uh, a coach firing. Oh, and a brawl. Forgot about that one. It's kind of <laughs> kind of a lot of non-basketball related topics here. All related yeah. to basketball. It's been a yeah. pretty crazy week. That's sort of what you get in late November when there's not a whole lot going on. You, you gotta find you gotta find other things like, like Paul Pierce bringing um some new info. Well, I'm glad you just started decided to start with this because of our poopery of topics, it feels fitting to start there. So Paul Pierce comes out says. Of course, I didn't shit my pants. If I was shit my pants, do you think I would want to ride off in a wheelchair? For those who may not know, do you want to give like a very brief backstory on what what this is referring to? Sure. So in two thousand and eight, Paul Pierce takes a takes kind of a weird spill um, and is laying on the floor and has to get helped up by teammates and kind of gets lifted uh, into a wheelchair and wheeled off the floor. And everyone's like, "Oh no! How badly is he hurt? Is he going to play again? Like, what's going on?" Uh, two minutes of game time later, so you know maybe more of like ten minutes real time. Pierce comes running back onto the court, fresh, uh, fresh white jersey, and perfectly fine, no injury, nothing. Heroic return. Yeah, Willis Reed of the highest level. And then it kind of came out, and people were like, "Oh no, Pierce didn't get hurt. Pierce pooped himself." And you know, I, I, we've all been there, right? You know, you're playing in front of a national television audience, you <laughs> yeah. poop yourself. You got a thousands of people around you. I do it constantly when we're podcasting, Nate. <laughs> I just don't know. Gosh. Because he's in a chair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a perfect genius. cover. Yeah. <laughs> so so Pierce is adamant that he did not poop himself. What do you guys think? I, I don't think it's a discussion. He he did poop himself. And and I think he's kinda, you know, using it every time he's not really uh, relevant in the media, then it seems like, let's bring out the old poop story. And and all of a sudden, The Athletic is writing about him again. So he was out in, in, in The Athletic, and, and he told them that, and this is a quote, uh, if you poop your pants, does it make sense to sit down and mush it, mush it in a wheelchair? You don't sit down on your poop, right? So so that's the whole story, I guess. Uh, him coming commenting on... on, on the whole pooping incident again. What do you guys think? It doesn't make sense to sit down on your poop? If I'm on national TV, hell yes it does. <laughs> like, so I don't think it, it debunks his story? No, I mean, what, what is he going to do? Just shit his pants and like walk out? I mean... That's what Kobe would have done. <laughs> yeah. Kobe would have stayed in the game. Yeah, Kobe would have hit that free throw. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he would win out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. 
Yeah, Pierce, no one's buying it. Just yeah. stop talking about it. Do you know if he was like actually asked about this? Like the he was doing an interview and they're like, so did you shit yourself? Or was he just like, oh, by the way, just to clear everything up. He was on a podcast. I, I don't know. I did not listen to the full interview to hear if he if he actively brought it up. It's like the kind of thing that you wouldn't really like bring up to your podcast guest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like before we had Ben Gulliver on, I, I kind of asked him like, hey, man, is, is anything off limits? Like we had this idea of we were going to kind of comb through your old stuff. Like, do you mind if we do that? Because that could be embarrassing. And he's like, no, no, go for it. Whatever you find. Like, that's no, that's no, great. No, no. My, my lawyers have taken all my bad stuff off offline. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, and so I, I got to imagine Pierce is like, hey, make sure your listeners know I did not poop myself maybe if if like we really want a former nba player on our podcast we just like message paul pierce and say we are down with talking about the the poop incident and he's he's gonna be yeah let's do it this is your Kyrie theory all over again that we're gonna get Kyrie on the podcast by being like hey do you want to talk about the plight of the um unvaccinated and their discrimination guys i have a little um a little joke Kyrie related actually oh it's it's a danish joke so you know the earth is about 70% water, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's uncarbonated. So you could kind of say that the earth is flat. Oh, my God. Oh, that's that's terrible. But <laughs> Sorry, guys. It works. It, it, it tracks. Yeah. But the way that Kyrie, like, doubles down, but then, like, also tries to evade it, like, that's 100% something that he'd say. Yeah. Have you ever see, seen carbonated waters? Is the, the ocean, ocean bubbling? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but you Got you guys always want to twist my words <laughs> yeah i'm actually very happy that we haven't heard anything from Kyrie for a while like yeah hey until he's willing to play again i don't i don't want to hear from him. like just just get the shot man just get the shot uh to move from a shitty story to a vomit inducing story we have the kings who have fired the second most winning coach uh win loss percentage wise since their move to sacramento Man, that is a, that is just an insane stat. Like I was like, no way that can be true. But Jesus yeah, Christ, what wild. a what a franchise! I was looking through their history because I was like, that can't be true. And it, it's only true if you exclude uh, anything prior to Sacramento. But it is true of Sacramento, and there's been a good number of Sacramento coaches. Like you just you just would want more from that franchise. Really hope for more from them. I think they also like when. If not the, then one of teams with the least playoff uh, like appearances in the last 20 years or something. They're about to set the record for most years without the playoffs as, right. as long as they don't make it this year. There's so many bad records around when you're talking about the Kings. Do, do you guys feel it's justified to, to have this firing of uh, Luke Walton? Like, I don't think that's the root of their problems. I don't think it will kind of do anything for them. Yeah, it, it feels like just the easy fix. Um, I, I heard a theory, which was they fired Walton to cover up the puke story. Vivek is like, I don't want people talking about King's Vomit guy anymore. Let's give them some <laughs> other news. Let's fire wow. Walton. And wow. that's what the final straw was. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, so with Walton, it's like, is he the reason that they suck? No, that's, you know, ownership is bad. The front office hasn't done a good job for, you know, since before he started and continue to do a pretty mediocre job. Although Davion Mitchell is looking nice, so that was a, a pretty good draft pick there. And so was Halliburton. But I mean, it's the, like you said, it's the easy fix. But was he, did he deserve to keep his job? I don't think so. 
Like, is he the reason that the Kings suck? No. Does does he deserve to keep the job? Probably not. Um, I think it was Nate Duncan that I heard phrase it this way, is, is when you're looking at whether a coach deserves to keep his job or not, um, don't be like, okay, well, what does, you know, sort of, what has this guy done to deserve to be fired? And then flip it the other way and say, what has this guy done to deserve to keep his job? Um, and if you start trying to come up with reasons why Luke Walton should keep his job, you know, it, it gets pretty hard to justify. Realistically, he should have been fired before this, but ownership weren't willing to pay him all that money to not coach. And so they, they dragged it out at the cost of their franchise. And, you know, it's probably the, the right decision, but too late and, and kind of weird timing. Yeah, because this will also kind of like, it's kind of a throw in the towel move. Now they have to have a coaching change right in the middle of the season, unless they want to like use Ellen Gentry for the rest of the season. Mm. But it seems like this, this season is already kind of uh, in the bin for them. Yeah, they, they are planning to stick with Gentry. I just, I look at their last good team, like quote unquote good team, the 39 and 43 ninth seed from 18 and 19, which is the year before they hired Walton. And they, they kind of delivered the ultimatum to Jaeger or like make playoffs or you're fired. And what's happened since then is the teams below the Kings, including the Lakers, the Wolves, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, the Mavs and the Suns have all had major additions or like a major player development. And so I, I'm I'm the last person on the Walton coaching island. But the one critique I'll say of Walton is none of his players have gotten better. And I, I think it'll be interesting to see in the post-Walton era and, and even the post-Kings era, like if Buddy gets traded, does Buddy become anything like decent? If Bagley ever moves on, does Bagley ever become anything? Or is he just Jabari Parker 2.0? Because I think... If these guys go somewhere and show something, that's a bad look for Walton. Yeah. Um, but if if they don't ever go anywhere and they don't ever become anything, well, then this is just a meh for Walton. Like, hey, you took over a bad team. They continue to be a bad team. They never added quality pieces. I mean, like Memphis got Ja. Minnesota got, it's, um, you know, I mean, Russell's not great, but they added Russell. They are added Anthony Edwards. The Lakers got LeBron and then Davis. Pelicans brought in uh, Zion and Ingram. Mavs got Luka Doncic. Suns brought in Chris Paul. They drafted DeAndre Ayton uh, and developed those players. And like all those players were added or developed post this year so of course the kings fell down and i, I, would, I would say the fact that walton has maintained a 31 win pace despite their malaise and lack of improvements and lack of uh additional pieces it, it's not the worst thing in the world i'm uh not too salty about it like i mean he got technically they were better last year because they were 31 wins uh in a 72 game season so you know it's it is what it is I hate to see I hate to see the whole Kings thing being blamed on Walt and, and I think we need to we need to recognize that there's a lot bigger issues. Yeah. You talk about the lack of development and probably one of the most concerning things for the Kings is the lack of development from De'Aaron Fox. Um, and just where he is at with his current state of play. You know, you talk about that eighteen nineteen season. Well, where was De'Aaron Fox then? He was averaging seventeen and seven on pretty efficient scoring. Um, whereas he now he's averaging 19 and 6 on the inefficient scoring. For him to not continue to develop, to not really get better, you know, to remain pretty stagnant and really not be able to play to his 
to his strengths and um, be put in positions to succeed, I think is possibly one of the, the biggest indictments on Walton. Last season, Fox was at 25 points, uh, 25, 7.2 assists w- with pretty efficient scoring. Like this year, he's off to a rough start, but so are a lot of people with the ball and rule changes. And, you know, he's shooting fewer free throws as now than his past two seasons. I'm just, but but I fully agree, like Walton's lack of development is really the the key thing here. What, what what would you like to see next from Luke Walton? I mean, I think realistically what we will see next is him go be an assistant somewhere. Maybe a college coach. He he had really strong ties to University of Arizona where where he played. Yeah. That could be interesting. I mean just, just by you saying University of Arizona makes me think that um the Robert Sarver's gonna hire him to be um the their next general manager or something. I mean Sarver does like his uh his Arizona guys. If you want to talk a little bit about it, the the Kings, in my opinion, they sh- they should be better than they are in terms of the pieces they have. We, we've seen pretty good season from uh, Darren Fox last season. Cyrus Halliburton have been great off off his uh, like he was is doing great as a rookie and should be a good piece coming uh, like the f- next couple of years. They have Buddy Hield, they have Richon Holmes. You know, Harrison Barnes is a good player uh, at the moment. I mean, they they. They, the team should be better than they are, in my opinion. But at least they have some nice pieces if they want to move on from some of those guys. I think they could get a decent package back from uh, players like Harrison Barnes and Buddy Hield. Do you think they will trade uh, most of these guys? Or do you, do you see them trying to like make the playoffs with these guys? You have to make a trade. Yeah, right? Uh, when we did the top 100, I forget if Hield made it or not. I think he did. But we had five Kings players on yeah. here, which is quite a lot. You know, you got Heald, you got Fox, you got Rashawn Holmes, Halliburton, and... Um, Harrison Barnes? Did I forget Barnes? I was, I was trying to remember who the other one Rashawn was. Rashawn Holmes, maybe. Yeah. Barnes, yeah. Fox, Heald, Holmes, and Halliburton all made it. Yeah. There, that's that's five. But you really can't play uh, Halliburton, Fox, and Heald together. That's that, a problem, yeah. That doesn't work. Mm. Adding Davion Mitchell just kind of compounds the problem because... Yeah, you, you only want three of those guards that you want to be playing high minutes. Yeah. Like, you can't play four guards in the mm-hmm. you know high 20s, low 30s. And I, I was kind of thinking about it. I was like, hey, what is the absolute apex of two small scoring guards? Like, like what is the apex we've seen? And that's kind of been the, the Portland Trailblazers, where you got Lillard and you got McCollum. And... Sacramento just doesn't have that level of players, and the Lillard McCollum pairing is good for maybe a fourth seed in the West any given year. And then up front, I would definitely take Nurkic over uh, Rashawn Holmes. It, they're they're following the Portland model, and the Portland model has not been that successful. So yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, their their defense is is abysmal. Like they're twenty fourth in the league on defense, which is terrible. Like based on the personnel you'd think that they would be able to get out of that sort of range. You know, going back to De'Aaron Fox's development, like he has the physical tools to not be a negative defender. Like he's he's pretty long, he's athletic, he's, you know, feisty. He should be able to be a, a positive defensive player, which he he isn't. And and you know, Halliburton Similarly, you know, he's got he's got a long frame. He's, he moves pretty well. He should be able to be a, de- a positive defensive player. What was my point, Nate? I don't know what your point was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, my, my, my point was, was um, the reason that Portland fail is 
their offense is is fine, but with Lillard and McCollum, they just can't stop anyone because you're playing two yeah. small guys that can't play defense. Right. Sa- Sacramento have the same thing, but they don't necessarily have to. Like De'Aaron Fox and Halliburton should be able to be, you know, at least not you know massive defensive liabilities. Um, yeah. And so that mm-hmm. could be the difference of why they could succeed with those two, um, where Portland could not. I mean, as I see it, it, it's it's basically just that Buddy Hield is kind of the odd man out. Yeah. Uh, and I think having De- Darren Fox, Terry Halliburton, and and Davian Mitchell as your like three main guards, that would be fine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like but, like if you just look at it by minutes, like forty eight times two divide three is is thirty two. If my math yeah. is right, you just play three guys thirty two minutes, and that should be fine. Yeah. So I guess trading by the yield is, is the plan. And I think that is the plan, seeing how they almost traded him to the Lakers. Yeah. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure they're trying to trade him. They'd, they'd probably yeah. like to trade him. It's just, um, you know, he's paid a little bit more than what you'd want yeah. to pay Buddy Heald. And if the options are take back a negative return or just hold on to him, um, you know, they've, they've sort of gone for the latter. I forget how the salaries lined up, but I know Kuzma, Kuzma fully believed he was in that deal. And I want to say that the Lakers still needed to include someone else. You know, if you added Montrez Harold and Kuzma to the Kings team, so now you actually have a decent level backup five. Like Harold coming off the bench and just getting run pick and roll with uh, with Haliber and with Davion Mitchell. You know, with Fox for the time that they overlap. Like that would be so good. And to have another wing that's that's able to back up. Harrison Barnes because like the Kings are just strapped for any sort of front court talent. Yeah, I mean they've been starting Mo Harkless who like you know he's a he's a pretty decent role player, you know, he can kind of defend, but he's like a, a literal zero on offense. Yeah, Metu is getting minutes. He started 5 games for them. Uh Alex Len was in the game last time I watched them play and it was just Yeah, if you if you swap Alex Len for Montrezl Harrell. I have mixed feelings about listening to Chris Vernon. Because uh, sometimes alone, I'm sometimes like, all right, old man, get off, get off the airwaves. But he, he has this whole thing about like just play players that don't suck. Yeah. And the Kings play so many players that legitimately suck. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying that the reason that this this all came around is Luke Walton was fired because um, the Lakers made a made a dumb trade for Westbrook. Yeah. yeah I guess this this is all Rob Palenka's fault. Yeah. Gosh, come on! That's not Laker family life. You gotta, you gotta look out for the Lakers. Yeah, Lakers ruin it for the small market teams. Listen, we didn't get Kevin Garnett because Kevin McHale wanted to do the Celtics a favor and help out his boy Danny and traded him to Boston. And now we don't have the same courtesy to help out the Kings and Luke and Laker family. You got to build these relationships. You got to get Lakers in high power positions throughout the league. So that way when they have a disgruntled superstar, he gets traded to you. It's a quid pro quo. Yeah. yeah. It's only a matter of time before De'Aaron Fox wants out. Exactly. You, you got to put those relationships in place. You remember how Phoenix just started cutting guys when Lakers need them? It's like, oh, Lakers need a big. All right, we'll cut Tyson Chandler and see, see how he does for you. It's because LeBron and Jermaine Jones. But I can't help but think that Lakers would look a lot different this year if they had Buddy Hield instead of uh, Russell Westbrook. We would. It still does not solve our problems of all of our no. players are only good on one side of the floor, if that. You know, do you know who's good on two sides of the floor? KCP and Kyle Kuzma. Oh, man. I really thought this was going to be an Anthony Davis joke of being like, yeah, 
Anthony Davis is good on the floor, both when he's standing on it and when he's laying down. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was actually a, a pretty fun like um, interview with Dennis Schroeder in, in Boston. Uh, I think it was last night or, or something. <laughs> where like you know when when they're interviewing uh, these pl- uh, the players there's always like this name tag um and, and then a little like description of of, of um of the player mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then the shortest description on that name tag is um y'all paying russ 44 mil lol <laughs> boston media team just trolling the lakers gosh because, I mean, Dennis Roda has been pretty good for Boston. Oh, yeah. Would I rather have him at 5.9 or Westbrook for 44? Like, <laughs> hands down, I'll, I'll, I'll double it. it. Like, I'll give Schroeder 10 as opposed to Westbrook 44. Yeah. And then you can um keep KCP, Kuzma, and Caruso, too. And Harrell. Yeah. Who, you know... Caruso, maybe, also. I, I was watching a Wizards game, and... Harrell is just a really good backup five. Like yeah. when he can get out there and just score, he's got the energy, and keep the crowd hype, and he, he gets the crowd into it in Washington. You know, yeah. waves his arms. Like he's he's back to Clippers, Montres. Well, his he started off really good in LA, and then they were like, no, we don't want to use Montrez and Schroeder in pick and roll. We're, we're just not going to do that. We're not going to run pick and rolls for those guys. And also, then he became a starter, and once he's a starter, he's pretty easy to scout and figure out, and, like, you can kind of pick apart his game. But it was never his fault that he had to be a starter. Like, he, he should be a 20, night, 20 minutes a night backup. I feel like that's some fa- sometimes a theme when you're playing with LeBron James, is that you don't necessarily get the best version of the players he's playing with. You're always trying to mold LeBron James' teammates into whatever LeBron James However, he's um, preferring the players to play. Yeah, um, and I think that's that that took a big hit on on Hell's game. He's really not not that supplementary. Sup- that's a weird word. Sup- <laughs> he's not some supplementing uh, uh, LeBron's game that well. Mm. Yeah, and that that's the difference as to why he was able to succeed in with the Clippers and with Washington is, you know, those are two teams where they need his, what he can offer. And so they put him in position where he can succeed. Whereas on the Lakers, where it's a team that's built around LeBron with those, you know, probably higher aspirations, each player is put in, put in a position for LeBron to succeed. And it, as, as they should be, I'm not saying it's a, it's a bad thing. We've got LeBron. That That is the way that you should be building your team. But for, you know, personal individual success, that's not um conducive to the best, the best play. I think teams kind of need to figure out how they're going to play and like, are they going to do staggered secondary lineups or are you going to do a full bench line? Like the Knicks have been really successful with a full backup uh, uh, line. I mean, their starters yeah. have been pretty terrible. Yeah. But in in looking at the games last season where LeBron, Davis, Harrell, and Schroeder were all healthy, can you guess how much time Schroeder and Harrell played without LeBron and Davis? I think I remember this being a thing from last season, right? Like it was, it was not very much. Yeah, like it was. It, it, it seemed an obvious strategy to have Harold and Schroeder run pick and roll when LeBron's not on the court. But I'm pretty sure I remember talking about like they are not doing that. Yeah, it was 34 minutes without LeBron oh. and Davis the entire season when when guys Damn. were healthy. Like by comparison, LeBron and Harold played together for 238 minutes. So like th- that just it seems like such an obvious coaching flaw. Like a LeBron Harrell pick and roll is terrible because you switch that 
anyone that you would guard LeBron with, you feel comfortable guarding Harrell. Anyone you've got guarding Harrell, um, you know, might not do the best job on LeBron, but you probably uh, you would put another big wing on Harrell. Uh, you know, yeah. maybe a, a more mobile four or five. Right, so it's easy easy enough to switch help as well. Switch and then help when you've got a big man to just contain the initial yeah action. Yeah, so good to see Harold doing well. Hurts to see the Lakers doing poorly. Nico, give me something happier to talk about. I'm kind of happy that, that you said they only played for like 30 minutes because um, I was watching a couple games. I made a meme uh, on, on Overstated saying that it was hard to see the difference between... Uh, Dallas Mavericks and the uh, 2016-17 Knicks because uh, Nidalekina was playing with uh, uh, Hardaway and Porzingis that night. Um, and, and I was looking at the, how, how well they were playing together. Like, uh, since um, Nidalekina got to the, to Dallas, they've been playing together 38 minutes. So not very much. No, but I was happy because that's a bigger sample size than Schroeder and Harold playing together. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that makes it legit. <laughs> so when uh, Prasingas, Nidalekina, and Hardaway is playing together uh, with Jalen Brunson, they actually plus sixteen on the floor. That's that's the biggest plus, other than Doncic playing with Finney Smith, Bullock, and and Brunson. So so the best lineup this season so far has been with the the old Knicks guys together. Oh yeah. I mean, I guess you got that yeah. chemistry. Yeah, I mean, Prasingas have been playing out of this out of this world in, in like compared to his normal uh play this season or last season i guess and i think that's that's what pushing the stats he's been really really good but they're also just like hitting more shots they are sharing the ball much better without look Doncic on the floor at the moment it has started to look more mobile in my mind which yeah you know it's just the eye test but I don't know. I, I always want good things to happen for Porzingis. Like Richard and I, when we started potting together, uh, he was so enamored with Porzingis and was like, the Knicks finally did something right. The Knicks finally are, are good. And then, you know, Porzingis got and hurt. I like, screwed that up. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I don't know. They might come out ahead. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's a very good point. I think if you can avoid paying sub-superstar talent, superstar money, that's probably uh, a win. So... As long as Porzingis doesn't uh, rebound and become a superstar, the Knicks are still winners. Nico, I remember you in our pre-pod saying that you you had a trade request for the Knicks to make. What uh, what do you have for the Knicks? The Knicks, uh, it's a pretty weird situation right now because they're playing pretty well, but it doesn't seem like they have a uh, clear offensive plan when they're playing. It's because I've been watching a few games, uh, uh, like the, the last three games. When they're playing well, they're hard to beat, but they have so many bad turnovers. Uh, like just stepping out of bounds, throwing errant passes. They're not very careful with the ball at all times. And, and most of it comes down to, it seems like they don't have a clear plan. Um, so I guess that's kind of on uh, on tips. They're also like fouling the in, in weird situations and... And that's really harming their offense. But yeah, I, I wanted. I, I was looking at a trade. It's a Kevin Knox trade because I'm a Knicks fan. Does anybody want Kevin Knox? I don't but think so. But hear me <laughs> out. <laughs> so, uh, as a Knicks fan, I, I really want to move on from Kevin Knox. And I was thinking about the Rockets. They are probably one of the only teams in the NBA that that could have some interest in in getting a guy like Kevin Knox because they can uh, actually, you know, you know, they're a rebuilding team and all that. Yeah. Um, so maybe if you flyer. package, 
yeah, you can package him with some second round picks and stuff, and maybe they'll they'll agree to that. And I just really want Daniel Tice in the Knicks. He would just be such a perfect player for the Knicks. You know, like that gritty defense. He would be perfect backup behind um, Mitchell Robinson because Mitchell Robinson is often sitting down. Yeah, I really want Daniel Tice in New York. Yeah, I think he'd actually be quite a good fit with the starters. Also, that. Yeah, one, one of you two mentioned this earlier, but like the Knicks have been, you know, they've been kind of good, yeah. but that's their bench has been awesome when they go to that full bench lineup. But their yeah. starters actually, their starters actually suck. So I've got I've got the numbers in front of me here from cleaning the glass. Their starters per one hundred positions are negative sixteen, which is you know god awful. That means you're you're getting absolutely stomped by any team that you're playing against. But the bench is plus thirty. So like their their bench is like cancelling starters are and then some. The reason that the starters are so bad is they're they they struggle to shoot. Julius Randle had you know space to get into the lane which means he's he's forced to keep taking those jump shots and so if you can get Tice who's theoretically a better floor spacer um that helps um and their their defense is also awful um as, as much as I tried to give all the credit last year to Mitchell Robinson's great um rim protection for their for their great defense um their starters are given up about 120 points per position which is worse than 95 percent of the league um so you know Tice may be able to help out on, on both ends. And just to speak to that shooting, you know, Kemba started off the year crazy hot. Like, yeah. uh, through his first seven games, he was shooting 56.8% from three on six attempts. In his last nine games, he is shooting 25% from three on 4.4 attempts. So a similar story with, with RJ. I just want to um, correct my correction. You know, RJ shooting 30% from three and less than 40% from the field. So I think it was a, a correct statement to say that he's not providing a lot of um, spacing for Julius. Well, and Randall last season was just insane. I think he was like 40% on pull-up threes. Like, yeah, he couldn't miss a shot. It, it, he was like Steph Curry on pull-ups, which yeah. is just so, so uh, you know anomalous. Or it's it just, you know, Barrett last season, 40%. Reggie Bullock, also 40% from three like if the Knicks can hit shots they're good but also their defense is just in the tank this season and you know did, did we all see this coming I mean they've come down to earth they're, they're much more realistic in terms of like they're playing how how they are playing right now yeah. um, but I mean Julius Randle when he's not hitting 40% from the three-point line it is um, using normal big man moves a lot more so he's he's bagging people down in the post um, sometimes taking like 18 seconds off the clock, just pumping the ball and stuff, which is fine in 2013. Um, but he's taking a lot of like tempo out of the, the game right now, and it, and it's not really being successful too. Like no. um, I've got his I've got his shooting splits here, um, and maybe just to comment on how difficult it's it is for him to to score inside and and um, the in- inefficient ways that he's doing it. Um, he's shooting at 61% at the rim. And 61% sounds pretty good, but it's not when it's at the rim. Like, Tyrese Maxey shoots, like, over 70% at the rim. 61% is 27th percentile for a big, um, so he's not being efficient there. And then just we've got the the outside shooting numbers, too, and the reason that he's he's really not um, on the same level. Last year, 41% from three. This year, 36% from three. Last year, 43% from mid-range. This year, 35% from mid-range. So those, all of those pull-ups have stopped falling, um, and yeah. it's not even an easy time creating inside. But he's he's actually being guarded behind the three-point line line now. 
I mean, the teams know he can hit a shot now, so yeah. um, he's been guarded a lot more. But the 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 like primary thing that annoyed me watching the Knicks over this weekend is that they're just not gaining any open shots at all because they are not they're like not swinging the ball around. It's always either R.J. Barrett, uh, Julius Randle, or um, Derrick Rose, like just uh, penetrating. And it's not leading to great offense. Evan Fournier is not getting any shots at all. He hasn't been shooting that well. Obi Topping is the only one hitting open freeze because nobody's defending him. He's been good this weekend, but Kemba has been terrible. Um, before this weekend, he's been benched the entire fourth quarter in like five out of seven games, uh, like the last two weeks. Yeah, I mean, Derek Rose is just playing a lot better than him. Yeah, he's only averaging like nine points per game in, in the fourth quarter on a 37% field goal, so he's not been that good. So last season, the Knicks finished first in defensive rating. Yeah. They are currently 17th. The players that they lost from last year, that were like the, their big minutes guys, Reggie Bullock, yeah. Alfred Payton, you know, it's 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 not like they had these major losses. They just... Uh, Nolan's just been hurt. He was good for them last year. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, he just came back this weekend. I just... You got some guards that don't play defense. Your shootings returned to normal. And to everyone that was mad at sports writers and forecasters, like I remember people being like, oh, what are you, like, what is Vegas doing? The Knicks are projected to win 41 games. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is why it was an unsustainable thing. The rest of the league got better. The Knicks are pretty marginal. So, yeah, that's just, it is what it is. I mean, right now, I feel like Derek Rose and Alec Burks is kind of their best players. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I just want to use this to make the point that, um, you know, three-point shooting defense is is not a thing. Like, if your opponents are making a way lower percentage than than what they're making as every other team, like, that is luck and, and random variation. Like, that's, that's not you. Um, and the proof is that the Knicks, you know, Remember last year, their opponents just could not make threes, and people saying, you know, well, it's because they play this, you know, this hard closeout style, and they they leave the right guys open. Well, opponents are shooting now thirty five percent against them. So, do they just stop doing that? No, I feel like there's got to be some skill in it. Yeah, there, there's some skill, but it's it's not the um, I guess not the main determining factor. factor. Yeah, I I also saw last season. Like wide open three point shooting percentages is the one that's like a hundred percent luck, and the Knicks were just getting getting lucky yeah. there, and and they're not getting lucky here, and so I don't know. I thought we were supposed to find a happier topic. <laughs> <laughs> I have a topic: Colin Sexton injured, not a happy topic. Michael Porter Jr. injured, not a happy topic. <laughs> Gosh, guys, guys, guys. All right, Maxie's been good. Yeah, Maxie's been saving my uh, saving my butt in one of my fantasy leagues. Maxie's been playing games. You only have like one game where he's below forty percent from the three point line. Yeah. Um, few of his <laughs> few few of his latest games, like twenty two to thirty three points per game. I mean, he's been awesome. Some people are starting to talk about um, <laughs> whether or not. You you just prefer playing Tyrus Maxey at the moment uh, rather than uh, Ben Simmons. Yeah, like how he's he's a much better match on, on the Sixers team than and Ben Simmons will ever be. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I, and it possibly complicates the um 
Ben Simmons trade theories too because like in, in Daryl's mind like in his ideal world he's getting like Dame or Bradley Beal um, but if Tyrese Maxey's just going to be like a super efficient scoring lead guard then like maybe that's not the piece that you want to fill in um, around your team. It definitely opened up some windows. Uh, Maury recently said that there are 30 players in the league that he wants for Ben Simmons. Um, you know two of those players have been identified. James Harden and Jeremy Grant, which, okay, all right, so we're, we're going to make a scale. Guys between James Harden and Jeremy Grant, <laughs> like, I think there's more than 30 guys in there, but um, it, it definitely, it, it opens up some opportunities. Like, they don't need to take back a point guard now. They could bring in a wing. They could bring in something else. It, it also offers them the ability to include Maxi and try to make that Damian load and be like, hey, listen, yeah. we're giving you two young prospects. Yeah, that, that's the other thing, right, is that they can use Maxi with Simmons, um, which is apparently what Rich Paul supposedly wanting, whether you believe that or not, um, is, is Maxi off the team as well. So now if you combine Ben Simmons, who's, you know, a flawed but talented, still fairly young player, um, with Maxi, who's now, you know, averaging, what, like 18 and 6 on 61 true shooting with, with draft capital, maybe you still have some interest in a guy like Thibault or... Um, uh, I don't know, Shake Milton or something. Then maybe you can get into those higher, those higher conversations if you know Dame decides that it's time. Because it doesn't look like Bradley Beal is going to be uh, wanting out anytime soon. No, and Philly has the same law in place that uh, that Brooklyn does, so you can't try to get Kyrie. Uh, I think also Simmons says he's unvaccinated, so uh, oh. he, he might have been vaccinated. But it's just you're not going to make that one work. Um, Would he be able to play in Michigan? Oh yeah, Michigan will let you play. <laughs> no, no, no yeah. problems there. <laughs> yeah, so there, there are some rumors uh, circulating. There are some discussions between the 76ers and Detroit Pistons about trading uh, Jeremy Grant for uh, Ben Simmons, but it seemed like they didn't want to go ahead because they didn't want to include Sadiq Bey. Um, I'm actually 100% fine with that. Like, yeah, I I don't know if I want to, like uh, of the three players that would be involved, Grant Simmons and Bay. And I'm not a Bay guy. Like Bay is—he's he's, he's low key struggling this year. His shot form is bad. Like he—he's mm. a—he's a three and D wing um, with a pretty ugly shot form. It just goes in, but and, like, and it's not even really going in this year. Yeah. So I, I always thought he'd be pretty easy to adjust to defend against because his shot is a little bit more up or not up. It's a little bit more out than up. And so I'm like, oh yeah, if you just close out on him, he's got to adjust his shot and he'll miss. So I, I kind of figured that he'd fall, but Grant puts up numbers. Bay has potential. I I wouldn't I wouldn't give up both them for Simmons at this point. Like Jeremy's kind of been struggling too this year. Yeah. What are, what are his top line numbers? Nineteen points, two assists. What's the true shooting? Fifty three percent. That's terrible. Like if if that's uh, if Daryl's willing to go that low, then maybe he has come you know a little bit down to earth in terms of realistic expectations on on what a Ben Simmons trade looks like. I think Jeremy Grant and Sadiq Bay is is a perfectly reasonable you know expected return for Ben Simmons um, in, in a way that Damian Lillard is is not. The rumor also involved Kelly Olynyk, who is already traded. I think he's not on the Detroit Pistons anymore, right? No, no, he's there. He's there, okay. So that, it would be around those three players. I thought they also wanted picks. Probably, like four, four first-round picks or something. <laughs> uh, and the Detroit News actually had a really interesting article breaking down um, how the Pistons can't trade picks because the Pistons traded their pick to, uh, to I want to say, 
Oklahoma, who then moved it to Houston. But it's basically lottery protected for the next decade. And so because of the step and rule where you can't trade your picks in back to back years, they have to either like make all their protections, you know, the opposite of that. Or um, you just have to get like real creative because this basically blocks them from trading a pick for the next decade until this pick conveys. Yeah. Um, If if I can be um, bringing my CBA nerddom for a second, there are a couple ways to get around that. Um, first is that you you can just remove the the protection on on a pick. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing is that the other team has to agree to it, um, and we've seen like teams be like, no, like I'm not going to do you a favor just for nothing, even though I get a better pick. Like I'm not I'm not just going to help you out. And and so like we've seen teams give up like additional like we'll give you a second round pick if you just let us give you a higher pick. So that's one thing they can do is just remove the protection if they can get the other team to 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 allow it. Um, and the other thing that you can do. Although it, it does make your your pick less valuable, is that you can put in the terminology next allowable draft, and so that's just like you know whenever you can get a pick, that's when you get it. So there 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 are those two options to to get some draft picks involved. I feel like if you're the Pistons, trading a draft pick, especially if you're bringing in Simmons, is still like that that could end up being the most valuable asset in there because you don't want to trade picks when you're still in a rebuild, like especially not your own. This has always been the thing that I think makes Oklahoma so interesting and why I'm I want Oklahoma to go in for a star is they can trade all of their own picks and they still have a bunch of other teams picks or you trade the other teams picks and like kind of gamble. I just I'm ready for OKC to pull a trigger. I want them. Yeah. Like if, I, the moment Carl Anthony Towns says he's he's ready to try something new. Just OK, here's yeah. the picks. And I do think that's the plan, like with all those picks, like they, you know, you, you can't have 30 players on your roster, so it doesn't make sense to have 30 picks. So they, that's something that they can either use to, you know, if there's a, a really a guy in the draft that they really like that they can move up. Or like you said, once that, that younger star player becomes available, that's that fits their timeline, mm-hmm. you know, their, their package is unbeatable. They could outbid other teams pick-wise for two stars and still have their own picks like that is yeah 30 for like the number of first rounders they have they can literally give up like six seven picks a player and still be yeah. pick neutral yeah so yeah it, it'll be interesting to see how it goes because like you you can really only do that once you've got to sort of go in on who your guys are um and you know they can probably pull together a big three mm-hmm. um and you know it's just whether they they choose the right guys and whether they fit you know with a SGA, Carl Towns, and, and Zion is a is a championship level big three. I mean, Zion is a pretty good candidate for OKC in the future. Uh, doesn't seem like he's super happy in Pelic in on the Pelicans. I don't mean rightfully so. Did did you guys see that the um, uh, was a Dunkin' Donuts commercial that they were giving out tickets if you bought a uh, I think it was a uh, like a big coffee or something. No, but that sounds like Dunkin'. Yeah, but I mean that's just I just felt like. Uh, that's a bit like the Pelicans, kind of a disaster, right? Right now. I mean, is is there worse teams right now in terms of trying to get people in, in the in in the seats? I mean, even Detroit yep. has some people in the seats. Yeah, it's it's the the Chris Vernon theory of like don't play bad guys. Well, they play like like eight non NBA players. Is it time for a relocation? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I kind of just want expansion. I want yeah. more teams. The league is deep. There's so many good players that I'm. I, I need it to get broken up. I'm speaking as a Lakers fan here because when 
the league has too many teams and we can space guys out, then then you'd only have a couple of really good teams. And the Lakers just we we drift to the top. We're we got that LA advantage. But when you know when Milwaukee can get three suit three all-stars and three top 25 players, well man, now LA's fucked. Would it make any difference for the Pelicans if they were an Eastern Conference team? I mean life would be easier. Yeah. I actually think it would be worse for them. Yeah, I was gonna say the East is probably like deeper this year. Yeah, yeah. Right now, it's not looking too easy to to get in the top of the East. No, there's no, actually, no. There's, uh, no, no, no. I mean, East is not better than the West, and I'm gonna I'm gonna explain why. So I've had this long-standing theory that the West will the West supremacy will never flip because the top teams of the West push the bad teams of the West so far down that they keep getting the top draft picks, and then the top players keep coming into the league on a Western Conference team and then continue to resupport West supremacy. Mm-hmm. It's like this year we're like, oh, is the East better than the West? Is is it close? The West is missing two of their top teams with uh, Kawhi injured and with... Um, LA being bad? <laughs> no, I was... <laughs> LeBron being injured and, and, and then suspended. And, and, and Jamal Murray. If, wait, who's suspended? Oh, LeBron. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that... God willing. Yeah. That, that should be at can, least. Can you game. imagine? Can you imagine if the NBA is just like, hey, LeBron, that, that was a dirty play, 10 games. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a one gamer, maybe two. Yeah. Uh, but from, right, sorry, sorry to interrupt your thought. Western supremacy. So the, the good teams in the West just push the bad teams in the West down. And so, like, the Pelicans are 1 and 13, or sorry, 3 and 13 in right now. Like, they're getting pushed so far down, they're going to get a top draft pick. And then they enter next season with Zion, a number one through three draft pick, and Ingram, like, boom, they're good again. It's just, yeah. I don't have the, the East versus West numbers, but I almost don't care. I just... I can give you one number by eyeballing. The bottom 10 teams by net rating, um, eight of them are in the West. But that's the thing, is the, the good teams in the West push the bad teams in the West down. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the 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 yeah yeah the very worst teams in the league are in are in the West. Um, you know, the likes of Houston, New Orleans, Oklahoma, um, the Lakers, the Kings. Yeah, I mean the um, the NBA.com power rankings does feature two Western Conference teams uh, at the top and 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 three Eastern Conference teams in the top five. Can like guess who who's the best Eastern Conference team at the moment in terms of uh, just in in this power ranking? Chicago, Miami, right? No. Nah, it's Chicago. Nah, Miami's kind of fallen. They they start off really strong. Um, they're one one of only two teams to be top five on offense and on and on defense. Yeah, Miami is is eleven and six, and uh, Bulls is twelve and five. Um, but but Bulls is is a lot more interesting than I would initially have thought. I mean, not none of us were really uh in on this new no. squad. Way wrong. Yeah, I mean. Uh, Probably like everyone is wrong, other than yeah. some uh, like really uh, optimistic Chicago Bulls fans. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to see if if it's sustainable in in like a playoff yeah. setting. Yeah, I actually actually took some time yesterday to just like try to wrap my head around it because I was like, wait, Chicago that like they keep winning games like out, yeah. out, at like a certain point, it's no longer small sample size. And when you're like 15 games into the season, that's like a legitimate like sample. Like no team, it's very rare to just like play way, way, way above your head for 17 games. 
so I really took time to try to like figure it out and like I, I've got no ideas like I don't know how the hell they're good I was like maybe you know what maybe maybe they've just got a lot of good players but like they really don't they've got like five they've got like four guys that they play you know their their main four guys that they play a lot of minutes that would be the only thing is you know maybe it's a little bit of a Thibodeau style where you play your starters a lot of minutes um, and that gives you an advantage in the regular season where other teams aren't playing their starters so much and you get to yeah. the playoffs and you know now you don't have that advantage that could be the one thing but like they've just got a lot of like not you know not amazing players you know Javante Green and Alex Caruso have been awesome but like that's your your fourth and fifth best player like how are they this good both, both Nikola Vucevic and the Marlon Rosen is pretty good defenders right now which is yeah. weird yeah that's 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 the most surprising thing it's just like how are they good defensively yeah the, the Marlon Rosen is having a career yeah he's never been better mm. In theory, I think his game would 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 do fine fine in the playoffs. But but we've seen what happened in Toronto. He is still shooting a lot of mid range uh, shots, and and those didn't always hit in in uh, you know high pressure moments. Um, yeah, I, would... I mean, what one interesting stat on how good Demar's been this year? You know, on off numbers are, are really interesting, sort of telling you how how much impact a guy's having on his team and what's interesting is despite all those like all-star seasons and, and and so on Demar only had one season in his entire career where his team was better when he was on the floor for every single year of his career except for 11-12 Raptors the team was better when he was off you know you, you can you can kind of you can sometimes see that in like a single season where like you know there's some anomalous you know bench production but when it's a trend for every single season of your career except for one mm-hmm. like something something's going on there and this year they are 23 points better per 100 with him on so he he's just making them way 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 better this year which he hasn't done for his entire career well, he's scoring really efficiently in isolation situations. Demar in ISO situations this year is one point one, well, technically one point one two. So, I mean, anything above one is usually pretty good. Anything below it is is bad. And so, the solid one point one is really actually quite impressive. Yeah, well, one point one in isolation is very good. Yeah, especially because like I mean, scoring in certain ways, like hey, if you're the role man in a pick and roll that's usually an easier way to score so we, we want something higher than one point per possession uh but isolation is generally where you see some of the the lower guys yeah. um, but but he's doing really well especially like like 1.1 doesn't sound that impressive when you know you've got teams that's going 120 points per 100 positions um but the thing that you've got to really sort of split out in terms of um you know given that number context is that scoring in the half court is a lot less efficient than scoring in transition. Um, so, you know, teams can get 120 points per 100 positions or you know, 1.2 points per per position, but that's with transition where it's a lot easier to score. Um, so to get 1.1 points in the half court is, is very efficient scoring. Well, and just this whole season, you know, as far as uh, offense goes, you don't have many teams doing that 120 anymore. Like the scoring across the board is down, so... Uh, you know, another great thing for DeRozan is you're seeing him put up the same number of free throw attempts, actually more than uh, several of his past seasons, not quite his peak in Toronto, but he's getting to the line despite the foul changes. So like it, his, his style of play has really, has really worked out actually pretty well. Well, despite all of the rule changes, despite, you know, the, the new ball, he's, he's doing really well. I, I think I attribute Chicago's success um, 
kind of less to to some of their start qualities but more to the fact that they're playing role players that fit and and that work yeah. like if you if you ask me in an abstract would i rather have javante green or carmelo anthony i, I mean carmelo anthony is going to be a higher rated player but as your fifth guy on the court javante green or alex caruso they're just like the perfect complementary pieces and you know maybe you don't have the the elite superstars but you have you will always have two of Vucevic, DeRozan, or Levine on the court, and then you have other players that just fit and they just make sense. I'm kind of in love with uh, Arvidas Kavit. Uh, gosh, I'm going to butcher his name after saying I love him so much, but Arturis Kenesovitz. Yeah, like he has just done a really solid job. Even the rookie, who I was not high on in the draft, uh, Ao, he's fun mm. to watch. He's like a little blur yeah. out there. Yeah. And like, what's m- what most impressive about him is that he's a rookie that's contributing to winning basketball. Like that almost never happens. Like mm-hmm. they are they are able to put him out on a team that is one of the best teams in the league, and he's able to, you know, they're able to to still be a good team with him out, well, with him on, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's it's small minutes. He's not playing a ton. He's he's at like sixteen minutes, but he gets out there and and he does a good job. He kind of he'll float out to the corner. He'll push the tempo. They just their team makes sense and i don't know i i don't think they're going to stay this high but also their their recent schedule i thought the recent schedule was going to test them they had that that road swing um but just kind of looking back over the last eight games you had brooklyn dallas golden state clippers lakers blazers nuggets knicks sure not all of these teams are playing at their full capacity but but these are solid teams, and and they only dropped two games. So I don't know. I, I think they could finish in the top three, and I think that's probably a, a more likely scenario than not at this point. Uh, top three in the East. Definitely, it seemed a surprise that that have been surprising me a lot this uh, like start of the season. Yeah. And Nico, you got any other uh, happy topics for us? Kyle Lowry announced in an interview with I think just NBA.com that um, he wants to retire as a Toronto Raptor. So it seems like he's got plans to come back home, as he said. He did say, like, even if he only plays or even if he just signs a one day contract, that yeah. like his heart will always be in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a Heat fan, how do you feel about that? I mean, it was mostly in the interview, it was mostly about uh, his uh, first game back in Toronto, which will be in February. And he just told them that it would be very emotional. And that still feels like home to him. Kalari and Toronto have so much history so i guess i mean i don't think it takes anything away from his uh heat uh i wouldn't mind it i i guess it would make sense for lebron as well to go back to cleveland for a game or two and and, and that's 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 just how it goes with you know those players yeah. who got a lot of history with their teams yeah nah. just g- g- give it like another couple of weeks and nate will be trying to trade lebron for um darius garland <laughs> yeah actually i'm not a you think we can get Mobley? <laughs> no. Like, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, yeah. Maybe you can get Riga Rubio. <laughs> oh, hey, gosh. He's at least an upgrade on Westbrook. Yeah. <laughs> you can get, like, you can get Kevin, Kevin Love and, and, and Riga Rubio. Not enough. Oh, okay. But I, I hate that Lowry said this. Because, like, all right, you left them. You, you're with the new team. Like, imagine. Just, just, all right, Nico, you're a married man, right? Yeah. You want to stay married, right? Right? <laughs> I fucking hope so. <laughs> right, telling your wife, yeah, 
Still love my ex, though. <laughs> See how that conversation I'm, goes. I'm, nah, I'm, I'm I mean, my, I'm, on my deathbed, I want my ex there. <laughs> yeah. Now, come Listen. on. It would be more like saying that, you, you know, your 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 old family home still feels like your original home or something like that. You know? Nah. <laughs> you know, nah. you, you, you're going to your parents' house for a weekend with your wife, and, 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 and you can tell her that, ah, oh, this feels like home to me. Wouldn't that be fine? Yeah, you think that's how Jimmy Butler's re- responding to that comment? You think Jimmy Butler's uh, responding to to Lowry with open arms and understanding that? Oh yeah, yeah, sure, man. We know you love Toronto. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure Jimmy Butler is letting him know that that's not gonna stand in Miami. Yeah, listen, you win Miami a ring, and then then you say, yeah. "All right, let's talk." Yeah, it's not very heat culture, bro. Yeah. Uh, well, I hate to do this, but we probably should at least touch on the other big story, which is the Michael Porter Jr. injury. Uh, it's been reported that he has a pinched nerve in his back and may need to may need to shut down for the rest of the season. This yeah. back injury is also what what caused him to drop in the draft and has always been a major kind of sticking point. But if he needs to shut it down, how much does this screw Denver? Can I just start by saying good fucking job on his uh, like agent? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his job is he, he killed he the bag. Yeah, <laughs> he got the bag, and and I mean even just in college he was just he was badly injured and and still got a pretty good draft, and now he got the bag from from Denver, and and then he's announcing a bag injury just just after. What's I mean, good job. Yeah, I mean to your question, Nate, like in the short term. He wasn't really playing that well anyway. And in the regular season, like Jokic, he, he plays a lot of minutes and he never gets hurt. You know, he plays every game. And just Jokic on his own is pretty much enough to get you to be a respectable team. My bigger concern would just be like going forward into the into the sort of the long-term future. Mm-hmm. It's like Denver is never going to win a championship with just, you know, well, I shouldn't say never. They, they are unlikely to win a championship with just Jokic and Murray. You know that's that's not enough to to put you into that top tier of championship contention. Mm-hmm. If they can, if Michael Porter Jr. can come along and become what he is, he has threatened to be at times in his career. Um, that is how Denver can get to that that top tier and become a championship contender. If Michael Porter is just going to be too injured that he can never get there, that pretty much ceilings Denver's entire franchise. But it does open up the opportunity for another team to be pro amnesty clause. So we might actually get the amnesty back. One, one more team. Uh, uh, Nate, I don't remember exactly what your question was, but <laughs> in terms of like Denver, I actually don't think it. It. I mean, right now you don't, you don't, you just don't play Jamal Murray and and Michael Porter this season, because because now you can now you can go all out with with the squad you have right now, and then next season you'll be ready with the Jamal Murray and and Michael Porter. Uh, right off the bat is this squad right now you know without um michael porter jr and and jamal murray gonna be good enough to get into playoffs i mean probably with the way nikola Jokic is playing he's like he's definitely top three in my mvp ranking right now maybe even just number one depends uh how, how good uh, Jamal, uh, no, um, Steph Curry is playing at the moment but mm. the only thing i'm worried about with uh, michael porter going out is that there's such a big load on Nikola Jokic now that you know he could 
see some injury coming. He's been playing so many minutes the last few seasons, uh, both in, in the regular season and, and especially in the playoffs. I, I think there's some rumor around a hand injury. Yeah, he's uh, he's been shut down for the last two games, uh, yeah. which has resulted in the Nuggets starting Aaron Gordon, Will Barton, Austin Rivers, Jeff Green, and Monte Morris. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's the big worry. If, if Nikola Jogic is suddenly... Uh, you know, gonna be uh, lifting such a heavy burden that that he's gonna be uh, if facing injury. injury problems and stuff like that. That's not good. No. Uh, um, so, and big so men are already yeah. and big men are already kind of prone to injury problems. Yeah. Like Jokic will be 27 in a few days, which is just flashing back to our earlier conversation about being older than NBA players. Feels weird because man, feels like Jokic should be older than me, but I guess guess he's not. And it. it you don't have too many more years of prime Jokic left. Like, or, or maybe you do. Maybe LeBron James is just, maybe everyone's just going to play till they're 38 now. But like in theory, you got maybe three more years of Jokic at, at athletic and at, you know, his peak of his powers. If Porter, if, if Porter's not able to recover from this, we just lost Jokic. Jokic now, now gets to be like a, like a Chris Webber, like a Kevin Garnett where you, they never win in their prime. And yeah, Garnett finally got his Celtics ring. But if Garnett had gotten a Timberwolves ring, Minneapolis would burn. Like like the the Eagles, when they won their, their Super Bowl, like Philly went nuts. Man, what KG meant to Minnesota if he had been able to win. And like, it's just, just really sad that, that this could totally uh, shape a, a large part of NBA history if, you know, Porter Jr.'s just never going to be the same guy again. The other thing that you wonder is like whether Denver was maybe like sort of playing on borrowed time. Um, obviously, you know, Michael Porter Jr. was one of the most talented players coming out of high school, if not the mm-hmm. most talented. And his injury concerns, his medical was enough for, you know, 13, well, 12 different teams to pass on him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if maybe it's not necessarily that, you know, Denver uh, were, were smarter than everyone and were able to pick him where they did and they they took the risk and it's working out you know maybe it's they they saw what everyone else saw which is that this back issue is gonna you know continue to plague him and really affect his career um and they were willing to take the risk when other teams weren't um and you know they're they're playing with borrowed time and now they're getting the effects that everyone all those other teams saw coming such a shame it was such a good such a good draft too who were like that 2018 draft Kind of underrated. Uh, we're not that far away from it, but Luca and Trey Young, you know, surefire all stars, will be for a long time. Shea probably going to make an all star team this year. Miles and Mikhail Bridges, really solid players. Jerome Robinson could be one of the best players in China. Yeah, yeah, really, you know, future Chinese superstar. But uh, oh, Aiton, you know, even Mitchell Robinson. Like, there's just a lot of good players to pop out of that draft. So yeah, giving her to playing well. Jaron Jackson Jr., Devontae Graham. Just from top to bottom, there's great players in that draft. Shake Milton was one of the last uh, players drafted in the second round. And the Bafflin Kings took Marvin Backley. Yeah, it's wild. Well, who knows? Actually, Gentry might might be able to do something fun. If they just go full run and gun, Backley's got some got some end-to-end speed. So Yeah, I'm still not giving up on, on Backley. I think he's still got potential to be a good player in the NBA. I uh, just don't think that Walton have played him that well. No. It doesn't seem like their relationship was that, that good, even. There was that earlier season report about 
what about the coaching staff saying, hey, Bagley, you're not in in the rotation and Bagley's agent just tweeting out like, hey, if you're not going to trade my client and you're not going to play my client, like, fuck off all of you. Yeah. And I mean, fair enough, I guess. Yeah. Bagley's looking for that bag and Lee. Jesus. (laughs) Uh, We came full circle there. Uh, Do you guys have any more... uh, any more things you want to touch on? We could end with a little life advice from uh, Greg Popovich. Ooh. So, Greg Popovich on his key to success. Draft Tim Duncan. After that, stay alive. Nice. You know, you know, I'm glad he put that second point in there because the first one is obvious. The second one, though, yeah. it, you, you forget about it. Like, all right, I got Tim Duncan. Now what else do I do? Guess I'm yeah. set. Yeah. yeah. You got to stay alive. All right, well, in closing, guys, I wanted to ask you, because I'm assuming at least half of our listenership is American, uh, probably more, but we've got Thanksgiving coming up here. Hey. I I realize that is a truly American holiday, uh, but I wanted to kind of ask you if you had a favorite Thanksgiving dish and if any of these dishes travel. So I'm going to set the stage, a a traditional Thanksgiving. You're going to have some mac and cheese. Like good, you're gonna have like a baked mac. It's it's probably the best thing there. You're gonna have the turkey. You're gonna go for a green bean casserole, and you're gonna have some sweet potatoes, and maybe the sweet potatoes are kind of like baked sweet potatoes with like a marshmallow uh, topping. Are any of those foods in New Zealand or Denmark? Like none of that is in Denmark. Not even like the the you you eat some pies as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, we don't do that in Denmark. We'll do pumpkin pie or we'll do like right. a sweet pecan pie. Yeah. None of that? No. <laughs> uh, no. But I'd love to to uh, to experience a Thanksgiving din- dinner at some point. Um, yeah. I kind of feel like Thanksgiving is sort of one of those things where traditionality wins out over like actually just putting on good food. Oh, yeah. Like if, if you like... If it's just an excuse to like get your family together and like have a meal and you know enjoy each other's company, like why are you putting out such like mediocre food? Like fucking marshmallows on sweet potato. Yeah, that's turkey's like one of the worst meats, from what I recall from my meat eating days. Like, not gonna lie, green bean casserole sounds kind of good, and you know mac and cheese is a classic too. But like you 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 get like the most mediocre meat possible. So so much effort and, and very low reward. It's really sad because like, you know, Christmas, like you have a Christmas ham, but then the other sides and whatnot, like you do whatever you want. Mm. My my father's side is Jewish and like we will have a Passover lamb um, and like great lamb. Lamb is delicious. Yeah, like at least lamb is a quality meat. And, and it's really just the meat that's dictated. You get like other sides and dishes and like that can vary but thanksgiving's like no 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 you gotta have the turkey you gotta have oh uh mashed like stuffing gravy um like you gotta have the bean green bean casserole you gotta have the sweet potato like the entire meal is like dictated and it's just not a high quality meal no Mm. i was actually Uh, watching a a, a uh, show with a uh famous danish uh michelin star chef and he was actually saying that uh you know I can relate in terms of uh, it's the same with Christmas dinner, you know, it's, it's some old traditional co- meals, but maybe not the highest quality, mm-hmm. uh, but, but they were like eating uh, lobster and, and, and mussels and, 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 you know, just great stuff uh, instead of all this Christmas food. 
Well, that's the thing that almost makes me more mad is like the pilgrims didn't have turkey. Yeah. The pilgrims didn't have these dishes. Like they probably had more fish. There's a good chance early settlers probably caught like lobster. The Massachusetts settlers during early American times, like celebrating Thanksgiving, probably was very different. And just big turkey came in here and ruined it for us. <laughs> but to answer your question, I would probably go for all the sides first. Like maybe just get one piece of, of the breast and and plenty of uh, the gravy and then just all the sides uh, and then like end with the with with a with a with a leg, I think. I've never had uh turkey like in, in like a you know, one big turkey in the oven style thing. Mm-hmm. Um but I'd imagine the leg is pretty good. Oh yeah. That's like a big chicken leg. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. If you guys don't eat Thanksgiving food, can you at least give me something that you are thankful for in regards to the NBA at this time? I guess I'm thankful for the Knicks being back. Well, I'm I'm, I'm thankful for for Paul George for single handedly keeping us as a as a decent team. Shout out to PG. And I'm thankful for Scotty Barnes. Mm. Just been fun watching the Raptors. You guys have always been my East Coast team, and for when. Uh, the Lakers are playing too late, and I got to go to bed early. So it's been nice to have you or, guys be or fun. Or they're playing in Michigan, and the NBA blocks it out, so you can't watch the game. God, I hate that. I am not thankful for the three-day blackout for local games. Oh, they- I'm also I'm also thankful for uh, Anthony Edwards and Cole Anthony. Yeah, I'm thankful for for their contribution to uh, post-game interviews. <laughs> and I'm also I'm also thankful for uh, Juan Toscano Anderson. Like just going out on an an interview saying shit at the end of the day you gotta wake up and do your job in in response to him being played off the bench instead of starting. Beautiful. We have some good guys in the NBA. I think it's time for our post game interview. Thank you for listening. Please like and follow us. That's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Catch you next week. Bye. <laughs>